to turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 6 through 10, uh, as we continue our series in Jeremiah, and we continue looking at uh, one of Jeremiah's main themes, which is repentance. Uh, and so this morning, as you turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, I want to start with a true story that I couldn't get out of my mind as I was reading this text this week, and that I'm going to return to off and on throughout the sermon. So when I was interning at a church, and I interned at a bunch of them, uh, the church, of, the session of that church discovered that a married man with his own grown children was writing inappropriate letters and emails to young girls in the congregation. So along with his wife, they confronted him, and in that conversation, it came out that this was not the first time that he'd done this sort of thing, and it happened at other churches, and his wife and daughter had been enduring this for years. And each time he was caught, he would apologize, and his family would move on to a different community in the hope that this time, the repentance would be real. Uh, so in our conversation with this man, he broke down into loud weeping, tons of tears, head in his hands. And I thought, oh man, this guy's really repentant. Things are really going to be different now. Uh, but then I looked around the room, and I saw his wife and the elders were completely unmoved. And I remember his wife looked at him and said, we've done this before. You've cried like this before. What's different? And this story was with me all week as I read this text because that question, what's different, gets at both the center of our text and at one of the hardest parts of the Christian life, which is how do you tell the difference between real repentance and what our text calls pretentious repentance? And kids, pretentious means pretending. And repenting means confessing your sin and then working to stop the sin and to do righteousness instead. So to repent for sin, say the sin of cheating, you would say, I cheated, you confessed it, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And then you work to stop cheating. So pretentious repentance means pretending to be sad about something bad that you've done, pretending that you're going to change and not do it anymore, but really you're not that sad and you're not really even going to try to change which is different from fading repentance, which we'll talk about at the end of the sermon. Pretentious is repentance that never started. Fading repentance is repentance that started but didn't continue. We're talking about fake repentance this morning, pretentious repentance, pretending repentance. So here in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, Jesus not only expresses his own frustrations at Israel's pretentious repentance, he also gives the reasons why he knows and why they should know that their repentance is pretend. Which is one of the reasons why this text is so helpful to us. It gives us a level of insight into the repentance of other people. And it also gives us a level of insight into our own repentance. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have not only been on the receiving end of pretend repentance, we've been on the giving end of pretend repentance. And so this morning, we're going to look at three ways that pretentious repentance can be spotted in our lives and the lives of others. And here they are. First, pretentious repentance is not really costly. Second, pretentious repentance doesn't think the sin is serious. 
And then third, pretentious repentance tries to keep a relationship with both God and with the sin or with idols. And I have them on the PowerPoint, so I don't have to repeat them again. (laughs) But I will anyway. Pretentious repentance is usually not costly. It doesn't think the sin is serious. It doesn't take it seriously. And then finally, it tries to keep a relationship with both God and the sin. So let's read Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, and then we'll reflect on these three points this morning. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. The Lord said to me, In the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, which are places where idols are, and there played the whore? And I thought, After she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree, Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's own word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask now that you would be present with us as we reflect on your words, so that we might understand uh, how our repentance looks and what causes it when it's pretend, so that we would repent of it and take our sins seriously and sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed so that we can have an exclusive relationship with you. And Father, we ask this because we want to glorify you and we want to have uh, a deeper and deeper experience of the life that comes from you as your people turn to you in repentance and live. Uh, Father, may the words of my mouth now as your preacher and may the meditation of our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word uh, be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to talk about is that repentance, pretentious repentance, I might just start saying pretend repentance, is not usually costly. And this point comes from what we read in verse 6. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did, that faithless faithless one Israel, how she went up under every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. And just to say about that word whore there, Jesus is continuing his metaphor of Israel as his bride and her worship of, of idols as spiritual adultery, as affairs, which is why I actually think a better sort of modern English translation would be adulterous. That's sort of a side. That's what's going on there. More important is the detail that Jeremiah gives us about when God says his people's repentance was pretend. Their pretend repentance was in the days of King Josiah. And you can read about King Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 22 through 23. And thinking about when I was an intern, back when I was interning, I thought I should probably read those chapters in the middle of the sermon. I'm not going to do that because we would be here a lot longer. I'll give you a summary. Josiah was eight years old when he became king of Judah. And I can see some of our kids are like, you can become king at eight? Let's do that, (laughs) right? So when he became king of Judah, 
Judah had obviously divided spiritual loyalties. So you had the temple of God, say, over there. You had the temple of Baal over there, the temple of Molech over there, the temple of Asher over here, and on it went. Now, it seems like when Josiah took the throne, he was personally completely loyal to Jesus. But when he took the throne, this was at a time when the people's, uh, the people's lives uh, we had this sort of expectation that you just worshipped multiple different gods. It was part of the culture. And from uh, that perspective, it sort of always had been this way. Multiple different temples, multiple different gods, multiple different loyalties. But one day, Josiah sent a messenger to God's high priest and told him, hey, let's fix up, fix up Jesus' temple. And when that work got started they discovered in the rubble of one of the walls a copy of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And I emphasize discovered because when they bring it to Josiah and they figure out what it is, Josiah has them read it out loud. And as they read it, Josiah and the people around him are shocked. And they're also broken to learn that all of these temples, to all of these idols, are treasonous and sinful, and that Judah's internal struggle against injustice and brutality as a nation, and their external struggles to fight for freedom to not be conquered by other nations, was the direct product of worshiping idols and not worshiping Jesus exclusively. And so jo Josiah begins this project of reform. He has copies of the Bibles made for the people. He, uh, he tears down the temples to the idols. He bans idol worship, and he even restarts Israel's celebration of Passover. <clears throat> so if you were looking at Judah in the days of King Josiah, you might be tempted to say, wow, look at how seriously they are taking their repentance. But clearly, in Jeremiah 3, God took a different perspective. What Jesus saw was a lot of pretending and not a lot of reality. And at this point, we need to avoid a common interpretive move that we tend to make in reform circles today and I think in evangelical circles more broadly, which is to say that you can never really know if you're repentant or not. And that while Israel thought they were repenting, they were really self-deceived. You can probably feel yourself wanting to make that kind of move. Uh, I used to suffer from that move a lot. Then the fear produced a lot. Maybe you do too, where you think, I think I really love Jesus, but maybe I'm self-deceived. And since it's the nature of self-deception that you can't know if you're lying to yourself, you live in this constant fear that at the end of the day, Jesus is going to come to you and say, surprise, you thought you were repentant, but you weren't by now. That is not the image of God that the Bible has, right? That way of thinking is so destructive. It is, a, it is, a, it is a, a malformation of God's character that we find in Scripture, and it does not do justice to what God is doing in the Bible. A better interpretive move is to see that Jesus gives us the reasons why he knows and why they know and why we know when our repentance is pretend. And this is important because Jesus wants us to really repent. 
In fact, one of the things that Jesus hammers home again and again in Jeremiah is the need to engage with him honestly so that we can learn to repent with our whole hearts, so that he can empower greater and greater repentance in us. And not exposing pretend repentance would not fit Jesus' explicit desire or what Jesus is clearly doing in our passage when he tells Israel, you guys, your, your repentance is pretentious. It's pretend. So in that light, uh, I think God's point in bringing this charge of pretend repentance in the days of Josiah is to get us to think about the impact that context can have on our repentance. Because there are contexts that make pretend repentance more likely, just like there are contexts that make real repentance more likely. So if you were the average citizen in Judah, and you had grown up worshiping idols and practicing idolatry, and the king, who's eight years old and will probably live a long time, starts changing society in such a way that there is a social cost to openly worshiping your idols, like banishment, but there's a social benefit to start worshiping Jesus, you don't get banished, you're going to have greater political opportunities, probably greater economic opportunities. Which option are you more likely to choose and why? Context matters. See, the reality is, and we know this from experience, I think, costly repentance, repentance that costs you, is more likely to be real than repentance that gains you something. So to go back to my story at the beginning, the context this man's wife and the elders were responding to mattered. And in his case, showing something like repentance, tears, head in the hand, shaking shoulders, that can easily look like an attempt to not get into legal trouble. Probably also to avoid divorce proceedings. Tears and words do not often cost that much. So there, but, and it's not only that element of context as well, what produces it. There's another element as well, which is what caused the displays of repentance in the first place. So Judah's repentance was pushed on them by Josiah. And that's not bad, uh, just like it's not bad to push addicts into rehab or to push someone with an anger problem to get counseling from a pastor, an elder, or a mature Christian friend, or even a, a professional counselor, or to push your child or grandchild to repent for lying. I don't mean physically push them. I mean, you know, encourage them. Um, but there's a difference between a context where repentance is pushed on you and where you push it on yourself. There's a difference between when you make yourself repent and when someone else makes you show repentance. All right, so to go back to my story, if this man had revealed himself and had not been discovered, that would change the responses tears received, wouldn't it? And in terms of costliness, if he had gone to the families, confessed his sin, and opened himself up even to legal consequences, that would change how the repentance would be judged, wouldn't it? Context matters. Who caused the repentance? How costly the repentance is are important questions when you're evaluating your own repentance and other people's repentance. 
But that said, and before moving on to our last two points, I do want to be very clear. The Bible does not say, and I am not saying, because the Bible does not say, uh, that the context, that con in context where repentance always gains you something you want, that that repentance is always pretend. That's not true. Uh, nor is it the case that repentance that someone pushes you to make is always pretend. That's not true. In fact, if you read 2 Kings, 22 through 23, or 2 Kings 23, you'll see that much of Judah did repent. Maybe not, maybe not the majority, but a large portion of them did really and truly repent. We can all think of times in our own lives when people came to us in the name of Jesus and said, you are sinning and you need to stop it. Pushed from the outside, and we did in God's mercy. But what I am saying, and what I think Jesus is getting at here, is that if repentance does not cost us something, if it's not sacrificial, and if it's forced on us from the outside, then the chance that it is pretend increases. The chance that we will choose pretend repentance over real repentance increases. And it's within that context then that God gives us the two explicit reasons why he knows and why we know that their repentance was not real. And the first reason is found in verses 8 and 9. He's, God says, She, that's the nation of Judah, saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. But she too went and played the whore because she took her whoredom lightly. She polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. And here we come to our second point, which is pretentious repentance doesn't admit that you sinned seriously. So, clearly, what God is saying is that even though Judah saw Israel's sin, and she saw the consequences of that sin, she did the same thing. Why? Because... She took her whoredom or her spiritual adultery lightly, which just means she didn't think it was that big of a deal. This is not serious. And this point is very important. This is not a scenario when someone doesn't know that something, something is wrong and you have to teach them like children, right? It's also not a scenario where you're having a difficult disagreement about whether or not something is wrong. This is not an ethical debate. This is a scenario where everyone agrees that the action is wrong, but where one person takes it seriously and the other person does not take it seriously. So think back to an argument that you've had with your parents, your friends, your spouse, about something bad that you did, not that they did, that you did. Maybe it was you hitting your sibling. Uh, maybe it was a website you visited. Maybe it's a communications strategy. Maybe it was the way you were spending time. Whatever it is, you both agree that what you did was wrong. You both recognize that there is deep and powerful hurt and pain that came from what you did that was wrong. Like in the case of Israel, where Judah saw that God was so wounded, he divorced Israel. And in this argument, right, you're having this discussion about what it is that you need to do. 
And at the end of the argument, because you're not taking it seriously, I'm willing to bet a ridiculous amount of money, which I don't have, but can probably get a loan for, uh, that you ended it something like this. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll try and do better. Now, do we say that because we've just committed ourselves to profound heart change and moral change and change of action? No, right? Like, we're saying sorry because we want the words of repentance to be enough for them to stop talking to us about this thing. Be quiet. I'm sorry. Will you be done now? <laughs> if I just say the words, maybe if I even put in just a little bit of work for a few days, maybe a few weeks, things will die down, we'll move on, and if it happens again, it's not really a big deal because it's not that serious. Pretend repentance does not commit itself to change in any meaningful way, and you know that because it does not admit the seriousness of the sin. And just to add this, I have found in my own pastoral experience and in my own personal experience that the bigger the sin is that we're being confronted by, the more likely we are to minimize it and downplay it and make it not be such a big deal. I think that's because the bigger the sin, the greater the humbling that's needed to turn from it. So to go back again to my example, when the session first confronted this man about what he was doing before meeting with his wife, his response was, well, they're just letters. I mean, some of the things I said were bad. That's true, but there were some good things too. So it wasn't really that bad. And I'm sorry for the bad stuff, okay? Right, at that point, we all knew his repentance was pretend. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, but Pastor Matt, that's pretty easy to see. And in that case, yeah, that was pretty easy to see. But sometimes it's not easy to see. Sometimes it's harder because sometimes this view that uh, doesn't take your sin seriously will hide itself behind tears. And sometimes that's because of outright manipulation where somebody is acting and pretending so that they don't have to deal with consequences. And sometimes it's just because people, some people are more emotional than others and cry whenever they think about bunnies, right? I'm sorry you're hurt. I don't think it's serious, but I'm sorry you're hurt. Which is why, by the way, I don't think tears are actually a very reliable sign that people have taken their sins seriously. I've been in a lot of counseling sessions where there's all kinds of tears and crying. And, and what I've sort of learned to say is, I hope your tears lead you to Jesus and ask him to help you change your behavior and confess what you've done wrong. And, uh, and I respond that way kind of because of what our final point is about. I've learned this about uh, repentance. And this, this final point here in verse 10 really, I think, drives us home. Our final point is that pretentious repentance tries to keep, tries to keep, intentionally tries to keep a relationship between God and with the idols or the sins you're being called to repent of. That's verse 10. He says, Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. So the main point to focus on is Jesus saying that Israel did not return to him, which is what the word repentance means, return to an exclusive relationship to Jesus. She did not return to him with her whole heart, but in pretense. So when we see that phrase, whole heart, we need to think in both emotional 
terms, spiritual terms, and outward loyalty. It's about how you feel, it's about how you worship, and it's especially about how you live externally. And this is particularly important within the marriage metaphor that God has been using. So Jesus has been using this marriage metaphor to describe his relationship with his people. And in a marriage, you promise to love your spouse with your whole heart, which doesn't only mean emotional faithfulness. In God's case, right, if we take this as a spiritual metaphor, it doesn't only mean also spiritual faithfulness. It also means external faithfulness too. And so now think about this charge that God has been making. Israel has been having affairs with idols. And though we skipped it, there was even a point earlier on in Jeremiah where Jesus acknowledges their tears and their words that express some kinds of repentance. So everyone here is agreeing that what they did was wrong, that there's wounding. But when God looks around, what does he see? He sees that his people, it's not just they haven't totally put away their idols. They've refused to put away their idols because they don't want to. They've modified their relationship with them, but they haven't renounced their relationship with them. They still have statues. They still think about them. They even sometimes still pray to them. This is like a spouse caught in an affair who does not break off the relationship, but keeps on texting and even goes out to eat with the person they've committed an affair with. It's like a husband or a wife keeping a picture of another man or woman above their bed. It's for the artistic value. <laughs> That's what the Buddha statue is. I mean, you know, this non-idol thing that we pretend like doesn't exist. Right? That's what God is getting at. This is repentance that isn't wholehearted. This is what it looks like. Your actions show that you don't want, think what you've really done is that serious or you're not taking it seriously and you're not going to make the hard, costly decision to sacrifice and make changes. They intentionally tried to keep both things, making modifications so that I placated God and I get to do what I want over here. That's what pretend repentance looks like. So pretentious repentance, pretend repentance, usually comes, usually comes in a context where you experience gain from your expressions of repentance rather than loss. It usually downplays the severity of the sin, and it obviously tries to keep the sin while at the same time keeping a relationship with God. I think all of that is extremely helpful for us to see as God lays this out. And he'll expand on this throughout Jeremiah. Uh, it's helpful for us as we evaluate other people's repentance, and it's especially helpful as we evaluate our own repentance. Uh, because it tells us, right, that repentance is usually costly, which shouldn't surprise us. Because in describing repentance, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Pretend, uh, real repentance acknowledges the severity of the sin. Psalm 51, when David is confessing his sin against Bathsheba, against, he says, I have done evil in your sight. And repentance also chooses to work to love Jesus exclusively. So you can think about this great expression of repentance at the end of the book of Joshua, where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are going to renounce all earthly power and trust in Jesus. 
Now, having said all that, I want to close with this. Pretend repentance and fading repentance are not the same thing. Pretend repentance never started repenting in the first place. It never paid a cost. It downplayed the severity of the sin, and it never pursued exclusivity to Jesus. But fading repentance did do those things. It's just starting to not happen anymore. Those are not the same thing. One is fake. The other is real, but losing traction. Uh, Fading repentance is often described by God as dew that goes away with the morning. This distinction is very important in the Bible. It's important in Jeremiah. God makes it. There's pretensions, false repentance, and there's fading repentance. And Jesus has a solution for a slightly different solution for fading repentance than he does for pretentious repentance. We're going to look at Jesus' solution to pretend repentance next Sunday. But to be helpful here, here's Jesus' solution to fading repentance, which is worship and honest engagement with the church. So because repentance is costly and humbling and hard because it actually takes work, you actually have to do something, it's tiring. It's exhausting. So Jesus says, come to me and worship and I will give you myself. I will renew your strength like the eagles so that you can run and not grow weary and walk and not be faint which, by the way, is in the context of God telling his people, I will empower you to return to me from idol worship. Jesus says, come and worship me, and I can renew your, and I will give you myself so you can continue repenting. And not only that, tell my people about it so that I can give you myself through the fellowship of the saints. So if you're hearing this sermon and you're thinking, Well, my repentance wasn't pretentious. It costs, it humbled, it was enacted, but now it's fading. The solution is, come to church again next Sunday. Rejoice that Jesus is giving you his strength today. And also reach out to people in the church who you trust, who are mature, and be honest with them because Jesus will use them as part of the means by which he will put his spirit into you as well. He will encourage you and help you as they pray with you. This is why God says in the book of Galatians, After he says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if you have fading repentance this morning, keep coming to worship. Speak to God's people. But if you're here this morning and you're feeling convicted about pretend repentance, here's what you need to do. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Go confess your sin to the one you've sinned against, to God, and if any human beings are involved, to them, no matter their age. Acknowledge your sin's severity. Take responsibility. What I have done was wicked and evil. It brought hurt and pain and destruction. And if you don't understand why your sin was severe, which can be honest, and you just sort of said, I'm sorry to move on, Ask for help in understanding it. Ask them. Ask me if you need help. And then take action that actually puts away the idols and the sinful practices and pursues an exclusive relationship with Jesus. And do this because Jesus has promised that everyone who turns to him in repentance, he will empower and strengthen their repentance more. 
Jesus will make it so that you will rise up on wings like eagles, walk and not go weary, run and not grow faint. Jesus has promised that all who turn to him in repentance will also find grace and rest and help in time of need. And so if you are tired of bearing the burden of false repentance and the damage that comes from not having put away a particular sin or struggled to put away a particular sin, come to Jesus this morning and know that he will bless you. He will bless you with forgiveness. He will bless you with empowerment. He will bless you with his grace. And he will bless you with his rest and with his peace. And those are things that we all need. Amen? Let's pray. Our trying God, we thank you that in your mercy, uh, you expose our repentance when it's pretend so that we can truly turn from our wickedness and live and experience the power of your refreshing grace and peace and the amazingness of the reconciliation which you build into our lives through the gospel. Uh, Father, we confess this morning that repentance is hard. Uh, it is um, scary for us to think about sacrifice. It is hard for us to think about the amount of work and the length of time we need to work often to um, truly express uh, repentance for our sins. But Lord, we know that with you, uh, nothing is impossible, that you give new mercies every morning, uh, that you cause the, uh, the, those who are weak to rise up and to run without growing weary. And so, Father, we pray that you would express this grace into our lives now through your Holy Spirit, that you would um, cause us to turn from repent, pretend repentance. If we have fading repentance, we pray that you would strengthen it. And if we have ongoing repentance that is real, that you would uh, make it to endure so that we might um, continually love you more and more with our whole heart and that we might experience the renewing, refreshing grace of Jesus in our lives. And we ask this all in the name of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.